morning and welcome to Sunday School. It's a bit uh, chilly as we uh, wake up this morning and uh, as we continue to progress further into uh, these uh, fall months. Uh, we get closer and closer. Um, you know, we'll, we'll probably start having those discussions again about uh, inclement weather and uh, what happens during those times and what we do and et cetera. Um, but uh, uh, they're saying we're supposed to have a mild winter this year. That's what they say. Uh, but I will tell you this, uh, I would never trust what a weatherman says. <clears throat> the only way I would trust him is if he looks out the window and says it's partly cloudy right now, or I should say mostly cloudy. Uh, and there's a probability of rain because there was raindrops on my wind- windshield when I was driving in. So, uh, again, just to kind of uh, give everybody a, a little bit of a warning because they keep getting these weather alerts popping up about dense fog and, uh, you know, possible frost. So there might be icy areas and things of that nature. So just wanted to make sure that I kind of address that just really quickly is saying, hey, you know, sometimes we we might get a late start, might, you know, you can make it, you can make it, you can't, you can't. Uh, uh, don't uh, risk your life trying to get uh, get there. I tried that uh, uh, last uh, last winter. We I was uh, got in the Amy's Acura and I was going to take Abby to work and I didn't even make it out of my driveway. Uh, slid down it and uh, banged her Acura into a pole at the end of our driveway. I'm like, who puts a pole at the end of the driveway? <clears throat> Anyways. Yeah, it made a nice little dent, uh, you know, that's, praise God, that's what insurance is for. Um, and uh, it just, you know, uh, one of those things that uh, you, you, you just got to take in consideration when you live in the Pacific Northwest. You never know what you're going to get when you get wake up in the morning. You never know what the day holds, so just kind of keep that in mind. Let's go and turn to the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we've uh, moved a little bit further uh, down the the chapter here, and um, we began to mention and talk a little bit about uh, our completeness in him in verse 10, where it talks about we are complete in him, because again, he is complete himself, and as it says here, in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. Uh, that's something that uh, cannot be denied. And if, you, if, if people do deny that, they're denying who Christ is and uh, what he was, uh, what he came to do. Uh, and that's a, that's a dangerous thing. Uh, because again, it all comes down to what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Um, people can say they believe in God, but if they're not trusting Christ as their savior and they have not called upon him, as the scripture says, uh, they are still, un, uh, uh, they're still lost. They are unregenerate. Uh, they are on their way to hell and they may have the best intentions, but the best intentions don't lead to salvation. The only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. And it says right here in verse 10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, again, this begins to reiterate that preeminence that we've been talking about. 
uh, Paul's, uh, uh, you know, main thought process through the book of Colossians is Christ being preeminent. Christ being preeminent in every area of our life. And what that preeminence means is, is it's a, uh, uh, if you will, an authority. It is the first place you go to, uh, cause you've got all sorts of, uh, words that are, are in that word preeminence. You got pre meaning things that are before, uh, that, that should be the concept. Before we get into trouble, we should have already consulted Christ. Uh, before we go anywhere else, we should always seek Jesus Christ. Before anything else in our life, there is Jesus Christ. And in anything that comes before him, would become idolatrous. So here we are in this chapter kind of going through that, and he emphasizes that, but he also emphasizes that completeness. Uh, um, and, and I want to make sure that we understand that, that God has given us everything, as we talked about, for uh, this life uh, regarding holiness, regarding righteousness, regarding his will, regarding Everything that we need is found in scripture and the Holy Spirit teaches that to us. But what I want to make sure that we all understand is, is that we are complete in him. There is nothing missing. Man was made to have a relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, he is walking, specifically his voice is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He is there with them. That relationship should be like that. We should be wanting to hear that voice. We shouldn't be running away and afraid and hiding ourselves. We should desire to listen. We should desire to have that. But what we see here is we see this completeness. Because after Adam, something was missing. Something is missing. When a person sins and, and, and they sin against God, there is, there, there is something that is, if you will, affecting them in a, in a way that they are absent of the, the knowledge, they're absent of some abilities, they're absent of a lot of things. And the only way that we as Christians can, if you will, quote unquote, succeed, and I'm using the term that was used over there in the book of Joshua is to follow his word and to seek after him and to find that completeness only in God. People try to fill that hole, that missing, those missing parts. They try to fill that hole with anything other than God. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, um, worldliness, um, careers, family, children, um, uh, you name it, they fill it. They will stuff whatever is in there to try to put, uh, if you will, some sort of stopgap measure. But the problem is, is it doesn't fit that hole because that hole is specifically designed by God for him. 
And it's interesting, even psychologists today, they've studied the brain, they've studied it, they've looked at it, and they do all that weird, cool uh, neuromapping where they watch the things cross, across, uh, the, the, the electrical currents go across the brain and the neurons, and, and they're watching it. And they've identified that there's a certain area of the brain that they call the God center of the brain. That's what they refer to it as. I didn't make that name up. They did. And I'm sitting there going, without excuse, without excuse, without excuse. <laughs> they made that name up because they said there's something about the human brain that wants that. And they will, and mankind will put whatever they can put in there. The atheist puts himself in there. And if you will, every false religion does the same thing. You put self in there. Or some man, or some idol, or something else. But this completeness that we found is, is found only in him. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter four, and, and, and again, going back to this understanding of the completeness of him and where, where specifically Paul says, uh, um, that he is the head of all principality and power. That means in your life, I want you to see this and understand this. This is why Christ can be this. Take a look at verse four of John, first John four, four, uh, chapter four it says, you are of God, little children. And have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, that's in the Bible. That's scripture. That's one of those things that when you look at, it's along the lines of Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, right? We believe that. We believe that, you know, as Jesus Christ said... With man, it's impossible. With God, it is possible. We believe that. We believe the the verses that say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We believe that. So here is a verse that we, as believers, should readily believe. But sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that we think something is more powerful than God. But John here makes it very clear as he talks about this. He says that, 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 that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is in you. The book of Ephesians covers that very specifically. You're in him. He is in you. Nothing's going to separate. Okay. So what we find here is we find that if Jesus Christ is in you, God is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, that's greater than anything else that is in this world. The devil, it's greater than him. 
it's greater than him. Any temptation that he throws your way, any evil invention he throws your way, anything that, 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 that would cause you to stumble, all of that, God is greater than that. God is greater than anything else in this world, including governments. Every government is run by a principality. Well, how do we know that? You go over to Daniel chapter 10 and you start seeing that. You, it, it, there's specific princes that are in charge, hence the word principality. You find that Michael is called the prince of Israel. Okay? That's, that's his... That's what he takes care of. Then you find over there in Daniel chapter 10, you find there was two princes that the angel mentioned to Daniel. There was a prince of Persia and there was a prince of Grecia. And again, all of that has to deal with prophecy, end times, what was coming, all of those things that happened and occurred and will happen and will occur. Because again, we go through cycles. There's stuff that happened in the past that parallels things that are going to happen in the future. That whole issue with with Nebuchadnezzar's statue, all of that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Not all of that has been complete. And we begin to see some of that happening in the world today, and we begin to, to, to if you will, go, hmm, okay, I, I see some prophecy coming to light. I see some things happening. Well, each one of these governments, each one of these nations has a prince over it. And some of these princes are just downright evil. Because that prince of Persia was fighting the angel and trying to prevent the angel from getting to Daniel. And then that angel had to go, uh, you know, deliver the message to Daniel. So he called in Michael the archangel to help fight. I don't even want to know what that looked like. I don't even want to, I don't even want a preview. I don't want a sneak peek. Not, I don't even want to go there. But I want us to understand that, that, that Jesus Christ is greater than all of them. Jesus Christ is greater than all of them. So it doesn't matter what governments may do. And yeah, they may impose things. They may be harsh on Christians. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting into a day and age where, where, where Christianity is just, it's being derided. Uh, it's right up there in the, the top part of, uh, persecuted people here in the United States. And, 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 and we look at that and, and we just kind of like, some people will worry, some people will fret, some people will get upset over it or something of that nature. Look, we need to understand this, that Jesus Christ is greater than that. So we want victory in our life. He's greater than anything that could be causing us to stumble or fall. And this is where, again, we have to come up with, come up with the, the conclusion that he is over everything in our life. He is fulfilled. He has completed our life, everything. Therefore, he is the, above all of those principalities and powers. And he is in us. Now, now let's really take this and make this personal. Because this is what Paul is doing for the church at Colossae. 
if somebody knows somebody that is of a, 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 a of great stature or prominence or something of that nature, sometimes it kind of makes that person feel special. Makes that person feel special. You know, people will talk about when they've met people, individuals. I've met Governor Jay Inslee just briefly. Uh, listening to a guy the other day that he had an opportunity to give the gospel plan of salvation to President Biden. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that he got the gospel. Pray that he receives it before it's a little too late mentally. Um, you know, that, that scares me. But the people have met former President Trump. They talk about it. People meet their movie stars or their sports heroes or whoever it may be. I mean, back in the day, my dad uh, would get these tickets from his his uh, company that he would work for, and uh, it would be pit passes to PIR when they used to run the Indy races through here. And he was, you know, we had opportunities to meet the Andrettis and uh, A.J. Foyt and Guys, and you're sitting there going, who is that? These are really old race car drivers. They're the guys that, yeah, they're the guys that actually own the current race car drivers. Um, you know, stuff like that. If I was to say Jeff Gordon, some of you might go, oh, okay. But now even Jeff Gordon's out of it. So, you know, this is, a, this is many, 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 many moons ago. <clears throat> and, and I remember walking through there looking at those, uh, um, Looking at the cars, seeing the race car drivers, uh, being that close, and it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. And people get all excited over that, over a person. But when's the last time that we just simply praised God? Because here we have the creator of everything. The most powerful. And it's not like he wins by a slim margin. No, it's a landslide. It's a landslide. He's greater than all of this. When do we stop and think, you know, I'm going through troubles. Man, my God is great. I I really don't have to worry because I know who he is. You lay in a hospital bed for a few days. <laughs> There's a lot that goes through your mind. So only so much of the food channel you can watch. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and you're, you're, you, you begin to sit there and think and contemplate. And, 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 and one of the things that just really gave peace was the fact that I know who Christ is. He's in me and I'm in him. I'm fine. I may be struggling a little bit. I might have some issues. I might have some problems. But I will tell you this. There was a peace. And there was trust. Now, I know it would be sad for everybody. But what's the worst that happens? I pass away and I'm in the presence of my Savior? It'd be sorrow here, but for a moment, 
But everybody should know they will see me again because of Jesus Christ. And again, that just brings immense joy. And here he is saying, look, you're complete in him. You don't need anything else. You don't need the next best thing. You don't need an ancillary product to support it. No, you've got Jesus Christ, and that's enough. That's enough. Take a look at what he says back over there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, In whom ye are, ye also are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you're, uh, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing open uh, over them in it. Now, he makes a statement, and now he provides the backup. You know, some people will make a statement, and they'll say, well, we'll prove it. Where's the scripture? Right there. (laughs) He just just gives it right there. And what he begins to do is he begins to point out what happens at the point of salvation. Now, the point of salvation, a lot of stuff occurs. And as I've said before, under that umbrella term of salvation, there's a lot of T-I-O-N words. There's adoption, there's redemption, there's sanctification, justification. I mean, all of those words that we, we, we put under there, that if you start pulling them out and trying to make a doctrine based off of it, with, under, without it being under the guise of salvation, you'll come up with some strange doctrines. You'll come up with doctrine of uh, Calvinism or a.k.a. Reformed theology, which basically says God has predestined this person to be saved and that person to go to hell. No matter what this person wants to do to try to get to heaven, they can't because they're, they're, they've been predestined to go to hell. And this person over here, no, even if they don't want to go to heaven, they're going to heaven one way or another. God's going to impose that upon them. You tell that to a Calvinist and they're like, oh, no, 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 you, you don't have the right understanding of it. You don't. And then they go through their spiel of what it is. And then you're going, okay, so let's summarize it again. God has predestined. <laughs> and they're just like, no, 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 no. But that's what it is. And it leads to such dangerous thought processes. If God's already predestined everybody to hell or to heaven, then why in the world would we need to go evangelize? Well, we still have to obey God. Oh, so obedience is a choice? I thought God ordained everything. Well, no, he's going to make us do that. Why would he make... So what about this guy over here that sins? Well, God ordained that too. Well, wait a second. If God ordained sin, that'd make him the author of sin. So you're telling me that God willed this person to sin 
And if you get the heart and the core of a real Reformed theologist, they will answer yes. And I'm like, that's not my God. That's not my God. He would never will anybody to sin. That, 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 that's blasphemy. I had, I had a Calvinist one time. He, I, I, sometimes I shoot my mouth off quicker than I can think. And that happens to everybody, okay? You have the Peter moments. You just do. <clears throat> and I was talking about, uh, 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 I was talking to another pastor. We were talking about another pastor. I was talking about how I liked him and he was a nice guy and he was really friendly. I said, but he's a flaming Calvinist. And I, I, I don't know why I said it that way. It's just the way it came out. It had, I mean, you know, the flaming part has some connotation to it, and I understand that. But I said that, and the guy is sitting across from me from the table. I just watched his visage go from... He was staring at me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, oh, man. I said, you're a Calvinist, aren't you? He goes, yes, I am reformed. And I said, okay, well, I apologize. I did not mean to offend you in any way. And he goes, no, 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 that's that's fine. He said, but if you give me five minutes, I can convince you otherwise that you, that you, you, would, you would agree with reformed theology. I said, I sincerely doubt it. I sincerely doubt it. He's like, you wouldn't be convinced? I said, no, because scripture is contrary to it. And he's like, well, I guess I won't try. No, don't. The guy also at one point in time said, well, give me five minutes and I'll, and I'll show you the King James Bible is not, you know, the perfect word of God. And I was like, mm, no, 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 you're not eating. Sorry. No. Uh, why, why anybody would want to do stuff like that just, it just floors me, but whatever. But, uh, you know, under the guise of salvation, there's a lot of things that take place. And here's another one of these words, the ION words, circumcision. Now, obviously, we know what it is in the flesh. We know what that's about. But in a similar fashion, God relates that process that medical term, if you will, of a cutting away of something. I mean, he identifies it right here. Putting off the bodies of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Because when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, our flesh is like stuck to our soul. And what God comes in and does in an operation performed without hands, cuts that away, as he says here, removes it, and now we've got that separate body of flesh that isn't going to condemn us to hell. And this is all he's talking about here, he says, in whom you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This was a description uh, of salvation of what he you know how he's talking about it an operation where our soul uh, which was cleaving to the flesh is cut away and grafted on 
to our spirit. Because beforehand there was a deadness. Beforehand we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Let's take a look at a couple of things. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And again, just just so we understand what we're talking about, whether it's flesh or not flesh, but Romans chapter 2, and uh, as he says here, um, uh, you know, in verse 25, he says, For circumcision, verily profiteth if thou keepeth, keep the law. He's talking about it's important for the Jew. It's important for the Jew. It's not necessary for salvation. There was a there was a big hubbub about that with Titus. Titus was a Greek, and he said, "Well, what should I do?" And Paul said, "Don't. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference." So they're going through all of this, and he says, "But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision." Now, what he's talking about here is he's talking about here you are so concerned about the things of the flesh. You break the law, there is another type of circumcision that needs to take place in your body, your soul, spirit. He says that has to occur. And he says, this is what sin does. This is what sin does. And here he goes down in in verse 28, he says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, meaning a physical appearance, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. So here he starts getting into a little bit more detail with this, and he starts talking about where that takes place. And he keeps telling the nation of Israel they are uncircumcised in their heart. Why? Because their heart is grafted to their flesh and they can't seem to remove it. They can't seem to get away from it. And here he is reminding the church at Colossae as well as the church at Rome here, hey, that's been cut away. That's done away with. That's the old man. We've got a new creature. We've got something new in us. We are quickened by the Spirit. We're made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit is life. If our soul was not grafted to the Spirit, there would be no life. Now, in a physical sense, the Bible says that if if the flesh, if there's no Spirit in the flesh, then the flesh is dead, meaning the person's dead. Why? Because the spirit isn't there. If the spirit isn't there, the person's dead. The same thing is true when it comes to the soul. If the spirit is not attached to that soul, isn't grafted on the way it's supposed to be, isn't uh, cut away from the flesh, then that soul is dead. And a person dies in their trespasses and sins. Take a look over at uh, Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Just to kind of go back a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 
as I've said, you know, Deuteronomy is uh, one of those books that, uh, while it's got that funny name, it's got all those things that are in there. Uh, there's a lot of repeat of the law. Uh, Deuteronomy's got some really great doctrines and great applications. Great, great ones. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we'll take a look down here at uh, uh, verse, uh, oh, verse 16. He says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. He's saying something has to happen. There has to be a change. There has to be a cutting away. Something has got to be removed. And a lot of people don't understand that when it comes to sin. The nation of Israel was struggling with that. And here he's saying, there needs, this needs to happen and this needs to occur. And here these believers are at the church of Colossae. They are realizing what God has already done in their life, performing that operation, cutting it away and, and giving us the forgiveness of sins so that we don't die in our sins. We're not condemned to hell. Turn to Jeremiah chapter four. Nation of Israel struggled with this. If there was one concept that they struggled with was this whole idea of the heart. Man. And it, they just didn't get it. But I will say this. Neither do we. Yeah. People struggle with it. Why do you think Paul's reiterating this? Paul has to go through and outline these things about the heart. So when we start looking at our own life, you know, let's not just lay blame all on Israel. Let's, let's, let's take it for ourselves and understand, Hey, I'm, I'm guilty. I've done the same thing. It's what my heart is affected by. It's what my heart is attached to. It's a tough thing for us to realize that there, there may be stuff that we are, are, are going to have to face as a as a nation, as a country, as people here in the United States, we may have to make some some pretty difficult choices. There, there was a one time this guy uh, that uh, that I knew. Um, I won't go into it; it might reveal who it is. But um, having a conversation with uh, with him, and he was talking about uh, how he was starting to try to get associated with people that uh, were, were all about, you know, government accountability and things like that. And I'm all for government accountability. We need to make sure our, what our government is doing is correct and right. I mean, you know, we should. We should care. The first thing that we're supposed to do in regard to government accountability is we're supposed to pray for them according to scriptures. There's a commandment, not an option, a commandment. Moving on from that, he started talking about, you know, it's going to get to the point one day, he says, where, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to start killing them. I'm like, wait, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to just, you know, start, you know, having these things where we're, we're, we're killing police officers and we're killing IRS agents and I'm like an IRS agent. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there going, man, this guy is gone. Yeah. 
God hasn't told you to do that. If you think God has told you to do that, you're not listening to God. You're listening to the devil. That's a devil tactic. That's, that's just evil. Uh, you know, people will argue about revolution and things like that. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he just kept going on and on and on about how this country is just falling apart. And, and he claims, he, he was claiming to be a believer. And I just looked at him and I said, so let me ask you this question. What are you going to do if it is more comfortable to be a missionary in a foreign country than to be a citizen in the United States of America? And for the next few days, the only words that were coming out of his mouth were, wow, whoa, wow, oh, he just, he never thought about that. The apostles did. To flee the persecution, what did they do? Scatter. Why? Because they all congregated in Jerusalem. And God said, I don't want you congregating in Jerusalem and staying there. I want you to go to, what, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And there they all are. He's like, all right, well, we'll send a little persecution your way. They scatter. They got to break apart. They got to go out in the world. They got to tell people about Jesus Christ. People don't get that. But, 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 but here, here he is talking to these people in the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and, and again, in Jeremiah chapter 4, we'll get here in just a second. They become so attached to the wrong things that they lose sight of what they're supposed to be doing. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Because the circumcision isn't just the cutting away, it's the grafting too. It's like repentance. Repentance isn't just turn away from the sin. Every time I hear that, my skin crawls. I just like, ugh. No, repentance is turn to the Lord. And as you turn to the Lord, you're turning away from your sin. But it's turn to the Lord. Let's make sure we get the preeminence right. Turn to the Lord. Because if you just turn away to your sin and turn to the AA program, that's not going to help you. Praying the serenity prayer isn't going to help you. One of my coworkers had the serenity prayer printed on there. And they had pinned up on their, 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 their cubicle wall. Walked past and I was reading it and I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of nice. Maybe she came from, you know, an alcoholic background. And then I realized that they had changed a little bit of the last part. And it was going through, Lord, grant me serenity, blah, 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 stuff like that. And, and, and grant me the ability to not kill everybody that, that ticks me off this week. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not sure that's quite appropriate for workplace, but... <clears throat> 
But you, you, I mean, you, you understand, we're supposed to be grafted to something. Just like we're supposed to repent to the Lord, we're supposed to be circumcised, as it says here, ourselves to the Lord. That takes place at salvation. When we trust Christ as our Savior, that's the operation he's talking about, the cutting away of the flesh, the grafting of the soul of the Spirit for the eternal life that we need. And he says, take away the foreskins of your heart. Circumcise yourself to the Lord, take away something. And he says, and he very specifically says, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, uh, that none can quench it, uh, because of your evil doings. Aye. Okay. So it's obviously he's talking to the nation of Israel here, trying to get them to understand some things about getting things right. But what we see here over in the book of Colossians, is very clearly what takes place. Let's go back over there to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. So we've got the circumcision, the operation that takes place, cutting away of the flesh, grafting to the spirit. And then we have this uh, this next part where he says, buried with him in baptism. That is not water baptism. Okay? Let's just be very clear with that. There are seven different baptisms in Scripture. The nation of Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. How many of them got wet? None. Only people that got wet were Pharaoh and his armies. And I don't think I would call that a baptism. There's a baptism by fire. Pentecostals are all about that. They're like, well, have you been baptized by fire? No, and I don't want to be. Thank you very much. Because that's the tribulation period reserved for the nation of Israel. He says he's going to baptize them with fire. Even the U.S. military understands that. They put a tank out there that has never been proven in combat the first time it goes through combat and actually comes out the other side and they say, well, it had its baptism by fire. Why? Because it got shot at. Proved itself worthy. Proved itself that it can actually function and do what it's supposed to be doing. Baptism by fire is not a good thing. But this is what he's talking about, this baptism in the spirit that he references over there in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll take a look at this in just a moment. But this is not a water baptism. It's not a physical baptism, but it's a spiritual one where the believer is placed in Christ. Not all baptisms mean that you get to come out. Over there, we got a baptismal. We do that, you know, obviously, it's something that's commanded. It's something that Jesus did. It's something that Paul did. It's, I mean, it's something that demonstrates to others what has taken place. And we bury the person in baptism, put them under, or, you know, bury them, um, and put them under the water. And then we rise again, newness of life, bring them out of the water. Because what happens in the baptism if I take and put them under and then just keep them there? Well, there's going to be a lot of flailing. There's going to be some cops coming because that's, you know, trying to drown somebody. But not all baptism means that something comes out. We're placed in him. 
See, people have a weird misunderstanding of what baptism is is and its definitions. But this one he's talking about, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 4, he says, There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. He's making it clear. Now we know there are multiple spirits. But what is he talking about here? He's talking about the unity in Christ. He's talking about how we walk. If you're walking in another spirit, you're not walking in the right spirit. He says uh, um, there is one body, and talking about the body of Christ, one spirit, even as you're uh, called in one hope of your calling. There's only one hope in this world. I'm, I'm of the generation where people would go around and they would, uh, um, you know, some of them would go out there and they would stand on the street corners and preach and they would yell, there's no hope in the Pope, stuff like that. Um, there is no hope in man. There is no hope in anything else save Jesus Christ. And it's a sure hope. It's not one that you have to sit there and ponder whether it's going to be fulfilled or not. It will be. There's one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. That's God himself. One faith. When people start talking about, oh, this is my faith. This is my faith. Well, what does your faith say? No, there's one faith. And that faith is believing God at his word and being obedient. One baptism. And people will say, well, that means we don't have to be water baptized. No, this is talking about one baptism, meaning we're placed in one, one person. That's Jesus Christ. One God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He's talking about salvation here. He's not talking about water baptism. Same thing that we got going on over in Colossians. Buried with him in baptism. And he says, wherein you're also risen through him in the faith of the operation of God. Meaning that we're raised, but we're still in him. We're placed in him, but we are raised and to be in him still. And we're raised for the purpose of pleasing him for the purpose of doing his will, for the purpose of all those things. And it says here, you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So we see very clearly here, he's talking about how do we get this new life that Paul talks about? How do we get these new things that we have God as our ruler, as our, our as the one that is the preeminent over all. How do we get that? That's only through the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's done in the operation that he says is the faith of the operation of God. I believe that. I believe the Lord did that in me. I believe that he, he went through this whole circumcision operation in my life, if I don't believe that, yeah, I've got a problem. I'll be struggling with eternal security. I'll, I'll, I'll be struggling with uh, my, my sin life. I'll be struggling with a lot of things. But here he is, he's making it very clear, this is not a water baptism. 
take a look at a couple more verses just in that regards. We may have to leave off. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we have been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Where are we placed? We're placed in the body of Christ. This is exactly what he was talking about over here in in the book of Colossians. That's exactly what he was talking about in the book of Ephesians. Peter talks about it. Turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three. <clears throat> Take a look here. Um, now again, people jump on this. Uh, people that are believe in what's called baptismal regeneration, which means that they and, and that's what uh, the 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 Church of Christ. Anybody that's called the Church of Christ is a is a is a group of be, uh, people that believe that they have to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. But water does nothing. It does not wash away sins. Never has. Never will. And people will jump on this because in verse 20 it says, which were sometimes, uh, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And they go, see right there. It's like, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> in verse 21, though, it says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us. And they say, well, see, the, 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 that's water baptism. No, it's not. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who's gone to heaven, who is in the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. That was done by Jesus Christ, not by water. Peter identifies this. He makes it very well known. And one thing that we have to be very careful with is, you know, when we do look at scripture, when we're reading scripture, it's to jump on words that we don't understand the meanings of. We have to, as believers, study to show ourselves approved unto God. We have to understand the context and the meaning of those words. We have to understand what he's talking about. And what does that mean? That means that you might have to stop reading for a moment, start writing some notes down, drag out something that you can, you know, a concordance of some nature or something else, or go to somebody and begin to learn and find out exactly what's going on there. We're always learning from Scripture. We're always learning from Scripture. No one's attained all the answers. No one has all the, uh, everything. There's still in this th- things in this book that I just look at it and as I say, I just go, I have no idea. 
Go over to the book of Revelation. Well, what's going on there? What do you think those, uh, those things that crawl out with the scorpion tails and the, the wings and, and the hair and the teeth? I have no idea. Well, you don't think that's an Apache gunship helicopter? No, I don't. No, I don't. Because last time I checked, they don't have hair. And they don't have a scorpion tail. Yeah, but they got, they, they carry stinger missiles. No, just stop. Just stop. They don't carry stinger missiles. Sometimes they might, but they generally carry hellfire missiles. Big difference. Isn't it interesting how the, the, even the U.S. Army understands hellfire? Anyways, uh, baptism by fire. It's kind of strange, but, but still, no, I have no idea what that is. I'm going to take it literal that that thing comes crawling out and it's going to persecute people. Oh, you don't really think that's going to happen. I don't know. Look at all the stuff Hollywood puts out. Look at all the stuff Hollywood puts out. We're all going to die because some monster comes out of the sea or the ocean or something like that. I mean, even the Japanese got that. Godzilla. But he, I guess he's kind of a friendly lizard after he destroys everything, but I don't know. But it's just like, what? not everybody's going to know that. We have to study it. We have to look at what Scripture says. We have to understand the words and the context in which they're used. Can't just jump on that. We'll learn more about this, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to be here and study your word this morning in the book of Colossians. Pray, Lord, that as we continue to move forward with it, we just have a deeper and deeper understanding of what really took place uh, at salvation, that, Lord, we just grow closer to you, have more knowledge of you, and just realize how powerful you really are to help us in our lives, in our daily walk. Lord, again, I just thank you for all that are here. Pray that you continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.